Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Loudoun sermon podcast series. Today, Reverend Joe Middleton explores Touching Inward Springs. It's good to be here with you as always. Mel recalled this week that I was the scheduled speaker on the Sunday after 9-11, which we must all recognize was a greater grief, a more serious occasion than the one which now we're faced with. I had laryngitis that day, so Glenda Parsons read my sermon. I did talk with the children in a whisper, and I said, do you know what had, did you hear what happened this week? Do you know? And one little boy said, the whole world knows. I think we feel that way again. I reminded Mel that I also was here the Sunday after Hurricane Katrina. Not in the pulpit, but I came here to worship with this congregation when my brother and sister-in-law and one of their children had not been heard from. It turned out they were fine. But it's good to gather together in religious community when we have grief and sorrow as well as when we have things to celebrate. So you're feeling unsettled? If so, you're not alone. Garrison Keillor's latest dispatch from Lake Wobegon, which was actually a column in the Washington Post on Thursday, suggests that some of those who may, who some of those were, who may have been driven wild with dismay by the recent election campaign. They were, he said, librarians, children's authors, yoga practitioners, Unitarians, bird watchers, people who make their own pasta, (laughs) opera goers, the grammar police, people who keep books on their shelves, that bunch. (laughs) You recognize anybody? It's good to know somebody still has a sense of humor. Many are struggling today, some with anger, disappointment, others angst, worry, concern, fear, or some combination of emotional states. There are Americans, though, who are pleased with the outcome of this election. And there are those who see it merely as a partisan issue, not recognizing the depth of the divisions in our society, nor the possible consequences of the result. And there are many, too, who didn't vote, many who think elections don't matter in their lives. This suggests to me a need for a bigger get-out-the-vote effort next time, 
and lots of volunteer voter registrars, but also a more responsible stance on the part of the ubiquitous media from which many citizens get all of their information and most of their understanding of civics and United States history. These others, too, deserve our consideration, lest we think of them as other. They are real human beings with hopes and dreams and ideals and intentions, however foreign that may seem to any of us. I'm going to talk about one aspect of our third principle this morning, encouragement to spiritual growth, specifically as it relates to the trauma many are experiencing these days. However, I want to draw attention to the other part of that principle, acceptance of one another. And our first principle, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. That one may be a little tough these days. I invite those of you who wish to do so to open your hymnal, Singing the Living Tradition, to the back of the fourth sheet in the front of the book, if it's the same edition I have at home, and read those principles with me. I want to point out that these are principles that congregations have affirmed, have covenanted to affirm and to promote. It's supposed to be in the front, the back of the fourth page in my book. But I realize they're different editions. Oh, okay, it's on the back of your order of service. Shall we read together? The inherent worth and dignity of every person justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, acceptance of one another, and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations, the right of conscience, no, for truth and meaning, the right of within our congregations and in society at large, the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all, respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Lots of things to think about in today's political climate. I need these reminders, though, from time to time. Perhaps you do, too. Spiritual practice and spiritual discipline are phrases that old-timers will recognize as foreign to our practice of liberal faith in the olden days. Even now, they may not have meaning for some. That's why I speak of inner resources that we rely on in good times and bad, but especially in bad, and what we do to keep them fresh and meaningful, 
It is those activities and actions that help us develop inner resources that may be called spiritual practices or disciplines. I now invite you to take a moment to reflect on those practices, rituals, or disciplines that help to give form, meaning, and order to your life. What keeps you going when the going gets tough? What sustains you in uncertain times? You may have thought of gardening, running, swimming, or something else involving the whole body. Perhaps you lean toward the arts, whether engaged in them creatively or appreciatively, and thought of painting or listening to music, reading, writing, dancing, going on a pilgrimage, keeping a Sabbath. All of these may nurture the spirit. Knowing what has helped us in the past, we are able to make use of such practices in the present. Family life is built upon rituals, many of them revolving around food, its preparation, serving, eating, and there are others as well. These may provide calm and order that help to create a happy home. Clarence Russell Skinner, a pacifist, preacher, writer, teacher, was sometimes called the most important universalist of the 20th century. He thought deeply about the subject of spirituality and wrote and talked about it in an era when it was less commonly mentioned among us than it is today. In the 50s, several years after his death, his book, Worship and a Well-Ordered Life, was published. In it, he writes, We have been concerned with discovering stable foundations for a life that cannot be shaken either by inner stress or outer disaster. He says that philosophers and religious teachers have believed that underneath the surface storms of life, it is possible to find the deeper life of unshaken composure. As the fiercest hurricane cannot reach to the ocean depths, so the most violent disturbances do not necessarily reach the area of calm and poise which is at the center of a strong personality. A quiet dignity is native to the soul. He says that a well-ordered life is that quality of character which enables a person to face outward disorder with a sense of calm. Pretty tall order. An ordered life means purpose rather than drift, justice and righteousness, beauty and truth, mercy and love. These are at the foundation of all order. They create order and spiritual help among those who base their lives upon them. Truly working for justice is a spiritual discipline for many. Small acts of justice making will make our lives more fulfilling 
even as we seek to create change on a larger scale. If we are mindful and reflective in all that we do, being mindful, demonstrating balanced awareness and attention, requires centeredness and grounding that may be achieved through worship, reflection, the practice of looking inward and being strengthened. This, in turn, helps us to look outward. When our personal lives or circumstances change, we may find that familiar practices no longer serve that useful purpose in our lives. What can the congregation do to encourage spiritual growth that individuals may lead faithful, hopeful lives in community with others? What practices help the religious community to be a force for order and stability in our lives? Clearly, common worship is significant. When we gather together to consider things of worth, whether in celebration of great joy or in grief and great sorrow, the very presence of one another gives strength and purpose to all. The ritual quality of community worship is an important spiritual practice. In this congregation, you have covenanted with one another and you say the words of the covenant together in your service. This serves not only as a reminder, but also as a recommitment to those shared values of love, truth, peace, freedom, and a promise to work for social justice. At least I interpret to help our neighbor in that way. My experience of this congregation suggests that you do too. You have over time developed other rituals that are meaning for you, meaningful for you. Lighting and extinguishing the chalice, ringing the bowl, using water and stones as you share joys and concerns, and singing the children to their classes as one example of singing together. Congregational life offers opportunities for spiritual practice and service to the community, stewardship, social justice work, teaching children, leading youth groups, teaching youth and adults, and carrying out the many tasks required to make Sunday mornings go smoothly. The congregation also provides a space and resources for spiritual growth. Remember the experiments we did with the children? Our American democracy has been called a great experiment. I still believe that it will work. A mother of teenagers... seeking to comfort her mother the morning after the election, said, Remember, there's another election in four years, and Peyton and Jackson can vote then. She is taking the long view, and she is finding hope in her children. Our children 
the children of our community and of the world are always our hope. They are our responsibility too, the first duty of parents, teachers, ministers, congregations to children is to keep them safe. When we doubt that we can do this, we are afraid for them and for ourselves. Remember the instructions for using oxygen masks on an airplane? First, secure your own so that you may help others. Now, this goes counter to the way we usually try to protect our children. But if we are not able to draw on our own inner resources to help ourselves, we can't help them. When I first became involved in religious education in the greater Washington area congregations, most of us had schools of religion. And to a great extent, there was a lot of teaching about religions, although, as some would point out, sometimes very little about our own. I don't think any harm came from learning about the religions of the world. And the programs always featured activities that many children found meaningful. <clears throat> this was in the 1970s, a decade during which the UUA produced very little in the way of curriculum materials, and teachers and religious professionals in our congregations all over the continent found themselves creating curriculum to bridge the gap between the new Beacon series and the fabulous kits that came later. Obviously, some of it was better than others. But at the same time, the activities and programs that emerged often seemed to have more of a spiritual quality than what had been used previously. And new rituals were created during that time including the lighting of the chalice, which began in youth groups and religious education programs and migrated into adult services along with the children. Before the mid to late 1970s, children were seldom seen in the Sunday morning service, except when they were called upon to perform on special occasions, a very few times during the year. Today, we talk more about faith development than schools of religion. By faith, I mean the person's growing and evolving engagement with and commitment to life, a person's relationship with self, others, and the universe. The religious education program or religious growth and learning program is the primary place where we teach and learn for faith development. But people of all ages experience spiritual growth by participating in worship services, community building activities, and service and social justice projects. Some recent scientific research suggest that an inner spiritual compass is an innate concrete faculty and a part of our biological endowment. This is reported by Lisa Miller, 
in a book entitled The Spiritual Child. Miller is a clinical psychologist. She defines spirituality as an inner sense of living relationship to a higher power, God, nature, spirit, universe, the creator, or whatever your word is for the ultimate loving, guiding life force. Now, I differ slightly with her definition in that I would say a deep connection with the ultimate and not necessarily experienced as loving. As we plan programs for children, youth, and one another, we need to think about experiences that support and nurture spiritual aspects of development in people of all ages. While this may seem obvious for children and youth, it is important for adults as well. As formation is the goal of religious education for the young, so may transformation be the goal for adults. When I wrote my book about teaching and learning for faith development, I took as the title to touch inward springs from William Mallory Channing's discourse to the Sunday School Society. He says that our goal, among other things, should not be to form an outward regularity, but to touch inward springs. I believe that this is why we come to church and hopes that we may be touched deeply and go forth and lead faithful, hopeful lives in community with others. In closing, these words from May Sarton, help us to be the always hopeful gardeners of the Spirit who know that without darkness, Nothing comes to birth as without light, 